Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. This morning I want to uh, preach a, uh, on a topic to you. And I want to start, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1, the first 10 verses. And if you remember, the book of 1 John is very much connected to the gospel of John and particularly John 15, where Jesus talks about abiding in me. We're just going to use 1 John 1, 1 to 10 to kind of outline a few things and then process them toward the goal of seeing the need for us to love Jesus. That's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see that God expects you and I and calls you and I and commands you and I to love his son, to love Jesus Christ. And I want us to, I want to set the, the, we don't call it a stage, so set the platform for it by talking about a few little, a few examples of something. So I want to start by reading something about John Bunyan. You guys know who John Bunyan was? Wrote Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, read Pilgrim's Progress. It's excellent. It says that Bunyan began going to church. This is after the birth of his first child. He began going to church, which a lot of people do after the birth of their first child, right? And up until that time, he would he was, uh, he was connected to church, but he said of himself that he was a, a, abusive of language, so he swore a lot, and that he was a Sabbath breaker, okay? And so Bunyan began going to church, but he went on in sin, as he says, with great greediness of mind. One day, as John worked in Bedford, not our Bedford, this is in... England. He came upon three or four poor but pious, happy women sitting at a cottage door in the sunshine making lace while communing about the things of God. He came closer to hear what they were saying, for he was, as he puts it, also a, quote, brisk talker in the matters of religion, unquote. He soon realized, however, that they were far above him in spiritual matters, quote, for their talk was about a new birth, the work of God on their hearts. They spoke, Bunyan writes, quote, as if joy did make them speak, which is pretty interesting, isn't it? Then another thing I would, I would say is um, I have a favorite uh, movie, and there's a line in the movie where this, this uh, character uh, who's very humble and spends her life with her friends scrapbooking, and she works at a factory, and some hoity-toity uh, professional woman comes into town to take over the factory, and, and she looks down on all of the factory women, and this woman who works there, is, who is now her secretary. And so, and so one day, the hoity-toity lady gets her comeuppance, right? Everybody knows what comeuppance is. I mean, it's not a good movie unless somebody gets their comeuppance. And so she gets her comeuppance, and, and in the context of getting her comeuppance, the, the factory woman 
uh, looks at her and says, you might just think we're ignorant because we keep scrapbooks and we bring up Jesus in everyday conversation. And I thought, wow, that's a fascinating thing to say, isn't it? We bring up Jesus in everyday conversation. Then a third thing for us to think about is, um, I recently watched an interview with Alice Cooper. Anybody watching many Alice Cooper interviews lately? Okay. And Alice Cooper's being interviewed by a pastor, and Alice Cooper recently, a few years ago, uh, confessed faith in Jesus Christ. And he, he um, and look, at, look, it's not our job to make sure Alice Cooper has the right doctrines and all. I'm just, I want you to get the point of one thing as I tell you this account, okay? He, Alice Cooper was asked by this pastor, so what's important to you? What's, what really is important to you? And Alice Cooper didn't hesitate for a second. He said, oh, Jesus Christ is the only thing that matters. He's the only thing that matters. And it was a fascinating thing for me. It struck in my mind because it, the way he said it was so hopeful, right? And then... I was talking with somebody, I can't remember, might have been Josh, it might have been Josh Magnus, I don't know. We were talking about uh, Afghanistan, and you know that uh, as we've moved out of Afghanistan, we've left a lot of people there, and the people that we've left there, many of them are people who, under the uh, protection of the uh, armed forces were able to flourish in Christianity. And so there are a lot of people there who are flourishing in Christianity who suddenly are without that protection, that, that uh, armed protection, and also they're under a new kind of oppression, and that oppression would be the Taliban. And one of the things that they do... Um, the Taliban, when they come into an area, is that they have a uh, practice, when they discover who is a Christian in an area, they come with a paint can or something, and they go to the house door, and they draw an Arabic letter on the door, and the letter is an N, and it stands for the Nazarene, and it means these people are, are, are disciples of the Nazarene, right? And so I say all these accounts to you because I want to start getting you to think about the reality of how much you love Jesus, how much, how much you identify with Jesus, how much you would talk about Jesus, how much we love him, and are what we ought to be concerning Christ, and is he part of our everyday conversation. Certainly, if somebody's painting an N on your door, and it's uh, the... Uh, the indicator that you probably will be dead soon. Jesus must be important to you. He must be important to you. So let's read together from 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask that you would help us to understand the things that you have, uh, by your design, determined to communicate to us concerning yourself and your son and ourselves. Lord, help us and open up our hearts and our minds to truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as John writes, he said, we heard him, we saw him, we touched him. Jesus, they saw him. He was there. We declare him to you so that you can join us in our fellowship with God. This would make our joy complete. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. And if you walk in the light, you'll have fellowship with him. We're sinners. To deny that you're a sinner is a lie. A sinner is a lie. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Now, Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I don't know if you think of what pastors do when we preach as prophecy. I certainly do. I think that the, the lion's share of prophecy in the scriptures is what pastors should be doing from the pulpits. I think that's why Romans says that people won't hear and believe if they don't have a preacher preach to them, okay? And so if Revelation says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, then what everything that we, should, that we say should be connected somehow to the testimony of Jesus. We should be able to find a connection to his life and his actions and his person. Matthew Henry says, all the lines of Christian doctrine center in Christ. And in preaching Christ, we preach all we should preach. It's all there in preaching Christ. And so here in John 1, John the Apostle begins the epistle with this big picture. And, it's, and it is big picture. You know, Jesus, he comes in the flesh. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him. Philippians says that, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus incarnate, John says, I, we saw him. Here he was. And we're telling you about him. We want you to know so that you can join us. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is what John is opening up to us in the beginning of the book. He says this would make our joy complete. He doesn't just want them to share in fellowship and relationship to God and understanding that reconciliation in Christ. He wants them to have joy as well, like he would have joy should they join him. And First Peter, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. John says, we saw him. He was here. We touched him. We saw him. We heard him. But not everybody did. And we're testifying about him so that you will believe. And then Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This is, this is I think, what Bunyan saw when he saw those ladies talking. They're making lace or embroidering lace. or so. Is that the right way to say it? You know, they're making lace, Right? And they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about God. And, and Bunyan says, I don't, this is, this is not comfortable territory for me. This is unfamiliar to me. Because they had the presence of God in them. And they loved his son. John then says, God is light. And those who walk in the light have fellowship with him. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For God who said light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So God shines his light in our hearts, this light that brought about the creation of all things. He shines this light in our hearts so that we can see his glory in the face of Christ. Well, wait a minute. Didn't Peter just say that we haven't seen him yet we love him? And didn't John say, I saw him, so I want to tell you about it? So how do we then have his light? his light shining in our hearts so we can see his glory of God in his face. How's that supposed to work? And that's the reality of our life in Christ, okay? There's seeing and there's seeing. There's knowing and there's knowing, right? And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. He next goes on and he says, God is light. No, he goes on and he says, we are sinners. To deny that you're a sinner is to lie. Now, I have to tell you that when you read this, as you're going down through it, he jumps to that. It almost seems abrupt. You know, he's talking about God. God is light. Those who walk in the light have fellowship with him. And then kaboom. We're sinners. To say you're not a sinner is a lie. Peter again talks about this in 1 Peter, for he's talking about how we grow in our understanding and knowledge and in our sanctification. And he says, you need to add this to this and add this and add moral excellence and add knowledge and add self-control and add perseverance and add godliness and add brotherly kindness and add love. 
And he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. If we say we don't sin, we're a liar. Okay? And the first thing to negating all the work of God in our lives, the first thing to the first obstacle to having any work of God in our lives is our denial that we're sinners. It's an immediate roadblock. Immediately. You know the account of Jesus when he goes to the house of the Pharisee and he gets there and a woman who's a sinner hears that he's there so she goes to the house and she brings a jar of perfume and when he's in there laying down, she's like uh, crying and wiping his feet with her tears and pouring and kissing and pouring oil on him to anoint him, right? And Simon is thinking to himself, I thought Jesus was a prophet. Now, this is a funny thing that happens, right? I thought Jesus was a prophet. Does he know what kind of person this is? That she's a sinner. And his, this is the funny part. Jesus, knowing what he was thinking, and he says, Simon, can I tell you a story? And he gives a little micro parable. And he said, there was a man who had two, two people who owed him money. One owed him 50 denarii. The other one owed him 500 denarii. So we got 10 times the amount, right? 50 and 500. He says, the, 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 they didn't have any ability to pay, so they came and asked for forgiveness and he forgave them both. Which one is going to love him more? And Simon was astute and he said, well, the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus says, that's a good answer. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, I came into your house and you didn't kiss me. And you didn't give me any water to wash my feet and you haven't extended any affection toward me at all. In fact, Simon, I think, now this is only implied, I think that you think that you were doing me a big favor by coming here. You see? But this woman hasn't stopped. She just hasn't stopped. And so Simon is like, blah, blah, blah. Right? And we see that when you look at the passage and you look at that little micro parable, right? Jesus tells a little micro parable and it says that uh, just very simply in verse 42, uh, when they were unable to repay, right? They were unable to repay. What was it that Simon could see. Well, he could see that this is a prophet. Doesn't he know what sort of woman this is? That she's a sinner, you know. Uh, Simon could possibly see the extravagance that she was lavishing on Christ. That just might have made him more uncomfortable. You'll let yourself be touched by her, right? And then Jesus, when he tells him the parable... Simon kind of gets it, right? He kind of gets it. He said, okay, well, the one who's forgiven more. 
one who's given more. But what's the thing? We might notice all those same things. What's the thing that we ought to notice that just slips by us so easily? Very important thing that we ought to notice. Very important thing that we ought to notice. Verse 42, when they were unable to repay. Now, it's an all-inclusive set. They were equally unable. Okay? And I I was looking at, because you know, sometimes when you're preparing, you look at Greek words trying to figure out if that's going to be helpful to tell people. And I'm not sure this is helpful at all, but it was so interesting. Um, The word for, uh, the word basically was that they didn't, they didn't possess anything. They had nothing. And the, the word in Greek is that they had no echo. There was no echo. And so if you put an echo machine on your heart, you get a, 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 a back response. You know, you're, oh, we know the echo thing, right? <laughs> we understand echo. But what was reality was that these people had no echo. That meant that their wallet was empty, nothing there. If you put the echo machine on their wallet, nothing was there. It was gone. And so what was true about Simon that he didn't see that made him completely in the same boat as as the woman? He had nothing to repay. Nothing. He had nothing to give. He was bankrupt. Even though their sins were different in type and number, perhaps, neither had the ability to atone, and therefore the same fate awaited both of them. Okay? And it's it's good medicine for us to hear this, because what we always want to do is think about the relative differences between us and everybody else. And the one thing we've got to get clear in our minds and what the old dead guys used to preach about all the time is inability. Just think of that word, inability, 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 inability. You could substitute bankruptcy if you want to. Put it in some kind of concrete way. We're bankrupt. We don't have anything to present to God to atone for our sins. And every one of us has sinned. Maybe your sins are worse than mine. Maybe my sins are worse than yours. What we should all be thinking is, my sins are horrible. I better stop thinking about everybody else's and think about mine. Matthew Henry says something about this. He says, But to whom little is forgiven, as is to thee, that is, the Pharisee, Simon, the same loveth little, as thou dost. Hereby he intimates to the Pharisee that his love to Christ was so little that he had reason to question whether he loved him at all in sincerity, and consequently whether indeed his sin, though comparatively little, were forgiven him. Instead of grudgingly greater sinners, instead of grudging greater sinners the mercy they find in Christ upon their repentance, we should be stirred up by their example to examine ourselves whether we be indeed forgiven and do love Christ. This was something that 
was said of the Pharisees by Jesus. They saw tax collectors and prostitutes going to John the Baptist and repenting of their sins, but they didn't even acknowledge that they ought to look at themselves and consider their own sins. How are we going to know the love of Christ? Ephesians 3 says that we... we that God would like us to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. How are we going to know the love of Christ? I think about uh, uh, the songs we sing. Um, I had a copy. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, my, my, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Beautiful Savior, Lord of all the nations, God, Son of God and Son of man. Glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. You've sang that before, right? We've all sang that before. How is it that we sing something like this and come to understand it personally, so that there is really a love in us for Christ. You know, you think about all the, to know the love of Christ, as it says in Ephesians 3, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, immediately, contextually, what you know is, well, that is to know Christ's love for us, right? Isn't that to know Christ's love for us? I think so, Yes. But also, since we're called and commanded to love Christ, we love because he first loved us. How are we going to have the ability to, to turn and love Christ if we don't know his love for us? And consequently, how are we going to know if we don't understand what the value of that love is? How are we going to understand what we're dealing with if we don't know the value? Is it his love for us or is it, is it our love for him? Yes. Because unless both are true, we're damned. You understand? If it were not for his love for us, we'd be damned. And if we don't turn and love him, we're damned. It's that complicated. We need to know the love of Christ. Recently, um, Annie and I were speaking with a mother whose daughter, who is uh, older than I am and has not confessed Christ, in fact, refuses to acknowledge, she, she claims she's an atheist. And as we're talking with her, this mother was, was saying to us, you know, she was kind of having churning moments. She had raised her children in the church and she was having churning moments about this daughter and her concern for her daughter, for her soul. And she said, you know, I think maybe I failed. And we said, well, what was that about? And, and she said, well, I think maybe um, all I told her was that Jesus loved her. And she, she talked about the song, Jesus Loves Me, which don't, by the way, don't stop singing. It's a good song. She said, but I never told her that she was supposed to love Jesus. And I thought about it for a minute as she talked, and I think, yeah, I think she's coming to a real understanding of something there. 
She's coming to the understanding that what she should have been holding out to her daughter wasn't just Christ's love for her, but her daughter's need for loving Christ. And, and what would make her daughter to love Christ, but that she had some debt to him to give, to pay. But she can't pay it. But she had some debt to him to live in the, uh, the joy and affection toward him of, like the woman with Jesus at Simon's house. That woman isn't paying Jesus back. Is she? <laughs> well, what she's doing isn't paying for her sins, but she's loving him back. Make no doubt about it. She is loving him back. And so call your children to love Christ. But in order to call them to love Christ, they have to understand that they need him. They have to understand why they should love him back. Why should they love him back? What does it matter? Well, John says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. In chapter 4 of the same book, he says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is the foundation of us turning back and loving him. We love him because he first loved us. John goes on, he says, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's also the foundation of how we love one another. It's pretty amazing to think about getting down in there with the group, right? Come join me. We're all going to sit in a circle. What do we all have in common? We're bankrupt. We're bankrupt. What do we all have in common? We see Jesus. God has revealed to us our bankruptcy. And he has said to us, here's my son. Here's my son. He's paid for your sins. And then we start loving his son. And we're, we're kissing his son. And we're wiping his son's feet with our hair and we're weeping over his son. And then we're looking at each other and saying, look, at there's you. And we start looking at each other and we can love each other. Because nobody's in this superior position of, of good of self-righteousness. Jesus came and God made us alive together with him, forgiving us of our transgressions, canceling out the certificate of debt, it says in Colossians 2. Canceling out the certificate of debt. The work of preaching, this work that we do is presenting constantly to ourselves and to those that we preach to the bankruptcy and the canceling out of the certificate of debt. I'm going to read a little section from John Calvin and it's pretty interesting. Be careful, he's going to schnooker us, as Pastor Bailey likes the word schnooker. So he's going to schnooker us, okay? 
For were it not said in clear terms that divine wrath and vengeance and eternal death lay upon us, we should be less sensible of our wretchedness without the mercy of God and less disposed to value the blessing of deliverance. For example, let a person be told, had God at the time you were a sinner hated you and cast you off as you deserved, horrible, destruction might have been your doom, but spontaneously and of free indulgence, he retained you in his favor, not suffering you to be estranged from him, and in this way rescued you from danger. Now, I tried to give the effect in the way I said it, because that's what Calvin is trying to say. It's, isn't it good that we're safe from our sins? You're safe from your sins. I'm safe from my sins. We're all safe from our sins. Let's sing that. Let's sing fairest Lord Jesus. Right? And it almost, he almost sets it up stronger than you'd hear it in any evangelical, in most any evangelical church around us in this country. What he's just said is almost stronger than what you would hear anywhere in anywhere like in, in sermons today. So he's setting up a, He's setting up a contrast. This is one way you might be presented the, the reality of who you are bankrupt and the reality of how Christ has removed the debt. This is one way. But then Calvin says what? He says, if that were the way, the person will indeed be affected and made sensible in some degree how much he owes to the mercy of God. Then he says, but again, let him be told as scripture teaches that he was estranged from God by sin, an heir of wrath, exposed to the curse of eternal death, excluded from all hope of salvation, a complete alien from the blessing of God, the slave of Satan, captive under the yoke of sin, doomed to horrible destruction and already involved in that destruction. That then, in that context, Christ interposed, took the punishment upon himself and bore what by the just judgment of God was impending over sinners. With his own blood expiated the sins which rendered them hateful to God. By this expiation, satisfied the duly and duly propitiated God the Father. By this intercession, appeased his anger. On this basis, founded peace between God and men. And by this tie, secured divine benevolence toward them. Will not these considerations move him the more deeply? The more strikingly they present the greatness of the calamity from which he was delivered. In short... Since, be, since our mind cannot lay hold of life through the mercy of God with sufficient eagerness or receive it with becoming gratitude unless previously impressed with fear of the divine anger and dismayed at the thought of eternal death, we are, <coughs> we are so instructed by divine truth as to perceive that without Christ, God is in a manner hostile to us and has his arm raised for our destruction. Thus taught, we look to Christ alone. Okay? And so you think about what he's saying here in the context of Simon and the woman. 
And Simon was like, oh good, a prophet. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. And oh look, a sinner woman. Doesn't Jesus know who she is? He shouldn't be letting her touch him. And Simon has no concept. And Jesus opens the door. Hey, Simon, come look with me in this wonderful way, in this gentle way, as I tell you that you're a failure. And she's a success. And that she gets life. What sort of person are you? Are you a Simon or are you the sinner woman? And listen, it depends on what minute of the day you're asking me. Okay? And I know that's true of you also. It's the minute of the day we're, talk, we're, we're living. That we either have some kind of thing about our self-righteousness and we're thinking about somebody else or we're thinking about how we did that so well or we're thinking about this or that or the other thing. And we're Simon and suddenly we've kind of left Jesus sitting in the ditch somewhere. And then another moment, we're just on the floor going, oh, who will rescue me from the body of this death? Who will rescue me? And we're all lower in between. But if we're going to love Jesus, we need to cultivate our knowledge of him and our knowledge of ourselves. And it's so easy in the, uh, to neglect that cultivation and just to look, they'll look the part. And so we have, we have the look, but, the, but not have the substance. That was Simon, right? There were men in the Bible who prayed. They had the look, but not the substance. But what? They, they for appearance sake, Jesus said, prayed long prayers. Or sometimes repetitious prayers. And it was nothing. It had no substance. Or sometimes we say, well, I, we are devoted. We're studiers of doctrine. We have doctrine, right? We have... And, and Jesus says, well, you, have, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But they testify about me. And he was telling them they didn't see him in it. They couldn't see him in it, right? And so we think about our doctrine and our understanding. And every once in a while, a new wave of uh, 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 you know, a delta variant of Reformed doctrine hits another age of people, right? And... Uh, and suddenly I start seeing all these posts on their Facebook and all these things about the, the, the solas and the tulip and the, you know, sovereignty. And I, listen, those are good things and they're fine. But what I often wonder and say sometimes to them is, okay, great, wonderful, that's wonderful. You've got this wonderful thing that you're seeing. Uh, the scriptures testify about Jesus. You never talk about Jesus in your thread. You never bring up Jesus. Does our, do our fingers, are they capable of typing Jesus quickly? Because they're capable of typing lots of things quickly. Are they capable of typing him, his name quickly? No, that's Alice Cooper's job. We might work and, and not have substance. You know, that was what happened with Martha and Mary. Martha was busy in the kitchen. Mary was sitting out listening to Jesus. Martha said, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. I'm working. And Jesus said, 
you chose the wrong thing. Mary chose well. He didn't tell Martha she couldn't sit and listen. She was just busy working, and and by being busy working, she had avoided Jesus. He was right there. We might have fight and zeal, and we might go uh, on land and sea to make one proselyte that will be twice the son of hell as we are. We might give money, we might give a tithe of our mint and our dill and our cumin and neglect all the greater matters of the law, the things that are important, that indicate the reality that we're like those women sitting outside of the house knitting lace, that we have substance, right? We may neglect all of those things. We might practice hospitality with people coming to our houses, but in our practice of hospitality, maybe it's just so people can see us practice hospitality, But even in the context of our practicing hospitality, we might do just what the book of James tells us not to do. And we might give preference to this person over that person. We might invite these people, not those people. And we might have this person sit here and not sit there. Or pull out the special china for them, but not for them. Or pull out the special dessert for them and not for them. Our non-negotiable commitment should be to the practicing of the presence of Jesus in our lives, loving him and tending to our love of him. And thereby we will be abiding in him. We will be seeking him. When I was younger, my favorite time of the year was Christmas. Anybody that had Christmas was their favorite time of the year? As I got older, and as I said in the first service, uh, I'm getting saved. My favorite time of the year is becoming Easter. Okay? And so Easter is interesting because we do something on Easter Sunday that we don't do other times, and so I'll say it, and then you give the right response. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. He's risen indeed. Now, we say that, and isn't it funny, the first time you ever heard that said, Did you feel a little strange? Now, part of it is that we feel strange at at like doing some kind of repetitive, some kind of, uh, what do they call that? Call and response to individuals around us. I know that's part of the uncomfortableness of it. But also part of it is how often do you actually say Christ or Jesus or Jesus in any context other than? How often in our homes is his name even mentioned? Is the name of Jesus even spoken? How often in our conversations is his name spoken? And so so we, we say that little, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And it's like this time, one time of year when we do this, we speak Jesus, we confess Christ as an individual to another individual. And I, I... it makes me think about the reality of it, the exercise of it. You know, we do Easter because Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. We worship on Sunday as Christians because of that reality. We could say he is risen every Sunday because that's why we worship, you understand. But the, the question of us bringing his name forth 
and confessing his name to one another is a powerful, powerful question. Whether or not we do it, and if we do it, how we practice it, how we, how we go beyond. You know, there was something I wanted to read you. And I don't think I did. Did I read you Bernard, Bernard of Clairvaux? Who took my Bernard of Clairvaux? That is just crazy. That's a strange thing. The question of saying his word, I just, his name. And I wanted to read you this quote because it's just beautiful. You might have to see me afterwards. I just can't find it. Listen, the name of Jesus, speaking his name, the fact that we confess him to other people, the fact that we'll say it out loud. You think about uh, the person letting, letting the Al-Qaeda draw an end on their door. You think about uh, Alice Cooper just unashamedly saying, Jesus Christ, he's everything. He's all there is. Well, that is true. He is everything. And we have to have our love of him to be non-negotiable. I've been, I've been tent- ruminating on this sermon for a long time. I think Pastor Killingsworth, I, mean, I don't think he's in here. He could tell you because I've been talking to him about it for a long time. Because it's a concern to me. Because I believe that it's a deficiency in our lives. Our love of Christ is a deficiency. We're deficient in it. And I think that the reality of how we come to love Christ more comes through us examining who he is. As Calvin says, there's two things that everybody needs to know. Who God is and who we are. Right? And so the love of Christ that we have has to come through our examination of who God and who Christ is and what he has done for us. And who we are in relation to it and how far short we have fallen from his glory. It was something that the the woman knew when she came to Simon's house. But it's something that Simon did not know. He did not know who... He had Jesus in his house. In the flesh. And he just squandered the opportunity. It was gone. Because he didn't know himself. It was because he didn't know himself. If he knew the least little bit about himself, do you think he would have squandered that opportunity with Christ? No, he wouldn't have. I'm going to close, but I want to read several passages of Scripture. And these are all about Christ. Okay, And all I want you to do is I just want you to think, let them sink into you. Let them sink into you. As you're going away, Maybe sometime today or later in the week. Spend some time and look into some of the passages about Christ and who he is and what he's done. 
Because I want, you, I want, you to, I want us to soak in it, right? I want us to soak in, the, in who, who Jesus is. Some food for thought for us. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 1.29, now will you trust me to know this isn't an exhaustive list from the Bible? Okay. John 1.29, the next day he, John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You have conversations about anybody else <laughs> that gets that kind of acknowledgement, recognition? Anybody? Anybody in your mind? Any politician? Any star? Any, anybody? Anybody you work for? Anybody? 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John 1.3, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John 3.17, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And you have to wonder if that's where Simon was standing right that day. Mark 1.22, they were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And that should be a verse we can all claim. Put it in your precious promise place. Okay? Revelation 5, verses 1 to 14 I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Let's go back. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. 
is worthy to open the book and to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." He was in Simon's house. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every living creature, every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Do you love Jesus? Do you know who you are? I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And just one more. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Love Jesus. Love him. Find every way possible to love him. We know that if we obey, we love him, right? Let's obey. Hey, there's an idea. We know that if we worship him, we know that if we love one another, and the Bible tells us all these things, let's love him. He is worthy of our love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your mercies to us. We thank you for the gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do a work in our hearts so that we would see your glory in his face as we turn from sin, as we confess that we are bankrupt, as we see in our bankruptcy hope because 
the debt has been canceled by your son. Lord, help us. Cause us to meditate on this and to speak to one another, encouraging one another as long as it's called today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.